From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome back, everyone, to The Dairy Show. I'm your host, Katie Schmidt. And joining us this week from the University of Wisconsin-Madison is the Assistant Professor and Education Specialist in Ruminant Nutrition, Dr. Louise Ferrerto, and I'm still going to say your name wrong, but welcome to the show, uh, Louise. Thank you. Yeah, no, the the pronounce was perfect, so. Well, I will uh, try to keep getting it right throughout this, but as we get started, I'm going to have you take a minute here and just introduce yourself to our listeners so they can get to know who you are a little bit better. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So I'm Luis Ferrero. I'm currently with University of Wisconsin-Madison in UW Extension. Uh, I'm actually originally from Brazil. Uh, I grew up in uh, Sao Paulo State. I went to school at Sao Paulo State University. I studied animal science. And during that time, we actually attended a lot of uh, conferences in Brazil. And and a lot of international speakers used to attend those. And then I had the opportunity to learn more and more about universities here in U.S. And obviously, University of Wisconsin-Madison was uh, one of the top-notch universities for, for dairy science. I said, you know, I think that's the place I should try to study. And then in 2009, I actually moved to Madison, Wisconsin in a, uh, for internship, master's, PhD, and then I never ended up going home. Uh, I had a, a small hiatus uh, from Madison uh, that I moved to first New York and then Florida. And then I was back this past year. And uh, uh, finally, now I can do some uh, dairy research in the dairy state. We're going to talk about some of your research projects and what the work you've been doing in dairy and forages. But I think for our listeners, just so we can all speak the same language today, uh, we should cover some of those basics of dairy nutrition and, and corn silage and forages and, and what some of those terms are that we might be using today and how they all relate to each other and interact with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think the most important terms that connect corn silage with dairy cows are fiber and starch digestibility. For fiber, sometimes we use NDF instead of fiber. And other, other specific terms that are very common for dairy nutritionists right now are physically effective NDF or physically effective fiber. And those all connect uh, in the rumen of a dairy cow or in the stomach of a dairy cow. And uh, basically, uh, starch and fiber digestibility gives a lot of energy. Physically effective fiber is what keeps the rumen working well and the animal health. Okay. So hopefully that, that when we use those terms later, we have that base knowledge. So let's talk about some of those research projects. Tell us about your past ones that you've worked on or studied with and what some of those practical takeaways were for farmers. So a lot of our previous studies uh, focus a lot on prolonged storage of either corn silage or sorghum silage, high moisture corn, etc., and some of the initial take-home masses that we got was starch digestibility increase as fermentation progresses, right? The way it works is basically uh, there are bacteria in the silo and enzymes inside the corn kernels that they are activated during fermentation, uh, particularly when pH decreases uh, during silage fermentation. And those specific, specific proteases, they break down a structure called prolamine or zinc for corn. And that structure surrounds the starch and inhibits its digestion. That's why it's so important. So those were the initial trials. And that's when we learned that 
you know, whenever possible, if we prolong a little bit fermentation, will be very beneficial because if starch digestibility is greater, the energy availability of the feedstuff is greater, and there is greater potential for uh, animal performance or feed efficiency. So obviously that with that, uh, we end up having a lot of other questions associated with that, which translate in some of our current projects. But if I had to choose one, that was the most important thing thus far. So the the steps that farmers can do then is basically have carryover from your previous year. Is that kind of the, the gist of how you can make that fermentation process longer before we're feeding it to the cows? Is that correct? Absolutely. And this requires a lot of uh, management, right? Because you need to organize yourself to have more inventory, you know, and obviously with the current trend that we had in recent years of very difficult weather compromising corn production for silage, it got much more difficult. But uh, when possible, and if there is possibility for this investment, I think that the accepted suggestion right now is try to ensile to have at least 90 to 100 days of fermentation. So this way starch is more digestible. Uh, digestibility continues to improve a little bit further, but I think the payoff is in this particular number, uh, three to four months. Wow. So we're talking about like silage that's harvested in the fall, not using it until really January or the first of the year almost. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's how we've been recommended more recently. Wow. Okay. So what are some of those projects that you're working on currently uh, at the University of Wisconsin? So because of some of those initial work, basically what happened is people start asking, but what else happens, right, with silage? Because you know, yeah, starch is a very obvious thing that it changed. And, you know, uh, indirectly, farmers actually knew that uh, based on some of the cow's response during the, uh, during the spring. But, but then we start seeing a lot of discussion. Well, uh, corn silage also provides uh, other nutrients, right? Like proteins and uh, fatty acids. Uh, and then one of the discussions that we had a lot was, well, corn silage has, uh, or the corn kernel itself has, some fatty acids, uh, they are long chain and they are potentially detrimental to milk fat production, right? And, and this is the case compared to other fatty acids, but it doesn't mean that we always cause milk fat depression. So people start wondering, well, starch, when it's too digestible and if you feed a lot, you may cause a depression in ruminal pH. And if that happens, it's worse for some of those uh, fatty acids because it leaves some intermediates that really inhibit milk fat secretion. So I guess the question was, do those type of fatty acids also change? Is there anything there? So one of our most recent projects tried to address that. And actually what we saw is that's not an issue at all. You know, we know that's an initial uh, type of research, but we shouldn't worry too much about that at this point. Uh, the same project also tried to address uh, for amino acids and other protein fractions. And we also didn't see much there. So I guess for now, we are comfortable saying that corn silage improves starch digestibility, but does not cause any other issues uh, during this prolonged fermentation. So what's the next step in study regarding this project? Is there, you know, the path forward from here? So I think one of the things that we'd like to get more involved now is to try to go back a little bit and understand different factors that affect starch digestibility associated with storage length. 
in order to try to put together some new uh, models and extension tools that may help uh, nutritionists and farmers, crop consultants, uh, to try to predict the starch digestibility. I, I'm not certain on how fast and how well we can do that, but uh, we actually have been running uh, several small experiments trying to understand multiple things that we already know that affect starch digestibility a lot, but we now want to make sure we find a way to fully connect uh, those individual aspects, uh, the effect of fermentation, so we separate uh, the effect of those particular uh, factors from what we knew they do, the new knowledge that we are generating, and how do we separate those in models, and how do we properly predict starch digestibility? Wow, that's a it's a lot to to process and to you know move forward with. But what a great tool for farmers if if we can figure out how to do it and figure out how to put it together. If we talk about corn silage and making high quality silage for cows and dairy cattle specifically, obviously on this podcast, what are some of those opportunities that we have to make better silages um, throughout, I'm going to call them maybe three milestones in corn production. So we'll start with seed selection. What's the, the first thing we can do when it comes to seed selection in producing high quality forages? So this is one of the key aspects, right? Because uh, you, you have to make a choice that's going to really impact not, not only your cows, but how you manage your diet and which ingredients you have to buy to, uh, to fit that particular diet. So I think corn genetics is a, is a key component of silage uh, production. The first thing I suggest farmers to pay very close attention uh, would be yield potential right? Because we want to make sure that we harvest uh, the necessary amount or more than the necessary amount if we go back to what we describe as prolonged storage inventory. Uh, we also want to make sure that those hybrids are very well adapted to the region, right? And they can really resist to uh, the typical diseases that occur in those particular uh, regions. Obviously, uh, my suggestion is connect well with crop consultants to make sure uh, you get not only good hybrids, but good management to make sure that happens. And then when we come towards the uh, dairy nutrition field, which to me is the, uh, the most important because I work primarily with that, but uh, I think that there are a lot of things such as uh, hybrids that improve a specific uh, nutrient digestibility that would be very useful, right? For example, uh, I think one of the uh, very well-established type of hybrids would be uh, the brown midrib hybrids, right? Uh, typically called BMR. Uh, those hybrids are actually very nice because they have less lignin. And the lignin basically is the portion of the fiber uh, that is indigestible. So because of that, if we have less, the hybrid becomes more digestible. For the dairy cow, more digestible fiber is important because the, the particular material will not stay in the rumen for too long. So it's going to pass through the rumen and open space for more. So basically, the animal will consume more. And then consequently, we'll produce more milk. So I think that's how I see some of those. What is very important to remember, though, is that some of those uh, I'm going to call specialty type of hybrids, you have to understand that sometimes they're more expensive. Sometimes they have a lower yield. So you have to be careful with those. You need to make sure you have very good planning in order to make sure that if by any chance this hybrid produces less and those animals are eating more, you don't run out of feed. Right. Yeah. You've got it coming from both ends there. So 
if if the BMR is more digestible naturally because of how it's structured and the lack of ling- lignin in it, does that mean that you can shorten that carryover window with that silage or do you still see that 90 to 120 day carryover for it to ferment for it to reach its maximum potential or or hit that feeding level? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's slightly less important uh, to prolong the storage, but I think there is a difference between the BMR effect and the prolonged storage effect, right? The BMR is a fiber effect that changes intake. The prolonged effect is a starch effect that changes the energy density. So if, if by any chance you could combine both, that would be ideal. If we've got our seeds selected, we're really focusing on that yield and making sure we have enough silage to feed our cows. Moving to the growing season, is there anything that is within our control that we can impact that quality of forage come fall? Yeah, I think there are things we can control and obviously a lot of things we cannot. Uh, from what we can control, I think it's very important that we follow uh, good agronomic practice, right? A very good soil fertility. We use the specific insecticides, herbicides for a given region that may affect production uh, and things like that in order to make sure that we have a healthy plant, right? Because if we have issues or a lot of stress to those plants, there are a lot of potential to uh, first impair uh, the nutritive value, right? Second, uh, you may impair uh, the yield or the tonnage that you would be able to harvest, but also it may... uh, give opportunity to fungi to accumulate and some of those fungi they may produce mycotoxins right so it's a i'm gonna call a necessary risk to your herd Uh, so basically if you just follow uh the well-known or well-established practice i think it's a it's already a very good thing to to decrease the susceptibility of your herd to a potential challenge with mycotoxins for example Sure. And if we then move into harvesting, which I'm I'm thinking is maybe the biggest challenge or the largest space for opportunities to create high quality forages, what are the the gold standard in practices when it comes to corn silage? Yeah, there are a lot of different uh, elements related to harvesting that we have to account for. And all of those require uh, some decision making. And some of those are easier to implement than others for different reasons. So, for example, if we consider the harvesting process, the first decision we need to make is what is our shop height, right? Or cutting height, if you will. And basically, this is very important because when we consider that the bottom portion of the plant, it also has more lignin than the top portion. So if you leave a little bit more material in the field, you may end up with a more digestible fiber material. And then the effects would be what we just briefly discussed for BMR, uh, greater intake and potential for greater production. Another benefit of the higher uh, shop height is that you dilute the starch because basically you don't change uh, anything related to the ear. You just leave more plant material in the field. So it looks like that the plant has more starch. And from a starch perspective in years like this, where corn prices are very high, it helps a lot to formulate the diet. But there is a downside to that as well, right? If you're living more in the field, it means you are bringing less to the silo. So you have to prepare yourself well for that because the last thing you want is to have cows missing their forages. Uh, I guess the way I see those perspectives are sometimes you cannot implement that to your entire dairy 
But if you have different groups uh, receiving different types of diets because of productivity, perhaps you can feed these high-cut diets to some of your cows and the, and the more bulky forage with more fiber uh, and less digestible fiber to your less productive cows. So I think that's the first thing I would see. What's the recommended cut height from a research side of things? Like, Where do you see that opportunity window? I, I don't think right now we have uh, any specific value that we think is ideal, right? I th because of the change in productivity, uh, like in yield that you can harvest, I think we have to be very careful because every dairy will have a completely different scenario. So because of that, I think the best approach is, okay, so what is my current inventory? What do I need for next year? What are the quality of the other feeds and forages that we have? And then we make the decision. So for now, I won't give you a number because, you know, uh, uh, I can tell you a number that works for some of the farmers and will not be good for others because of some of those factors. Okay. All right. So moving on from cutting height, what's our next uh, step? At the same time, the other decisions we have to make are what is the theoretical length of cut, right? What type of particle size I want to have in the corn silage? And what is the row gap we will use in the rows? to break more kernels. And I think those two decisions, they are uh, interrelated because both affect each other, right? All the forage will pass through the knives, all the forage will pass through those rows that break more kernels. So I'm very biased about starch. So I always tend to say that you want to make sure you break as many kernels as possible. And the reason for that is you won't have another opportunity to break kernels. And if you think about corn, corn is a seed. And that external portion of the corn kernel is supposed to protect everything that is inside, including the starch, right? So we need to make sure we remove that barrier and make sure starch is available. So the first thing I would suggest is pay very close attention if you are breaking kernels, right? Sometimes you'll say, well, you, you are a radical because you want to go through every single load and make sure all the kernels are broken. Yes, I do. And the reason for that is there are farms that they harvest so much corn that when you are evaluating the load that just arrived in the silo, there are five, maybe 10 more that are already coming, right? So if there is an issue now, the issue is for the next 10. It's not just for that particular load, right? So I think it's very important to make sure you look through those samples. Uh, you try to go through kernels. They are broken. Uh, the more broken, the better. That's how we, we analyze those. The problem of being too aggressive with kernel processing is that you may reduce the particle size a little bit, okay? And the particle size of the forage is very important because that's what makes cows chew, right? That's what makes cows ruminate. And rumination is extremely important to make sure more saliva comes to the rumen. We buffer that rumen and keep that rumen health. So when it, when it comes, we've got it all harvested, it's chopped storing, what's the the golden rule on storage for keeping the feed at high quality? The fermentation aspect of silage is very important because at the same time that there are these bacteria that will produce uh, the acids that we want, that will reduce pH and promote what we call silage conservation, uh, there are other microorganisms just waiting there to consume the same substrate for their own purpose, right? Has nothing to do with the silage. So it's very important that you pack that very well 
and remove as much oxygen as possible. We, we always joke that oxygen is the enemy, right? For the silage, right? It's necessary for us. But, uh, and the reason for that is if you think about yeasts and molds, they only proliferate when they have access to oxygen. So the more oxygen you remove, faster the silage fermentation begins and then better the fermentation is. And this is also important after silage opening because a lot of those eastern molds, they, they are just dormant during the time that they don't have access to oxygen. As soon as you open your silo and oxygen is in, they start proliferating again. So if your fermentation is not good enough, silage starts to deteriorate very fast and you really want to avoid that. How does all of this translate into cow care and nutrition and the feeding portion of it? The fiber and starch digestibility aspect of that is very important because the more digestible those nutrients are, more energy available uh, those feedstuffs will have. And this really affects the way you formulate the diet, right? If you have a very uh, indigestible type of material, you are forced to add other feedstuffs to compensate for that. Right? So, for example, if your kernels are not broken or if you don't have enough starch in your silage, you have to add more corn grain uh, to the diet or, or any other feedstuff that has some starch uh, or that can provide some sort of energy. So I think that's the first step. The, the fiscal aspect of the silage, the particle size is very important because you want to make sure cows are ruminating and have a, a very stable and healthy rumen. And the fermentation standpoint is you want to make sure it ferments well and, and doesn't deteriorate because if you don't have a very good silage, when you offer that uh, in the feed bunk, first, it will warm up very fast and then cows will not want to eat. If they don't eat, they don't have enough energy. Uh, the other issue associated with that is if you have any sort of fungi that can provide uh, or that can uh, release some sort of mycotoxins, this could be an issue. So the good fermentation and the entire process affect the dairy cow a lot. So if we can't put up good forages, what are some of our options for reclaiming benefits that we would see uh, outside of, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the corn you can add back in or the different pieces we can put back into a diet, but are there other opportunities out there? I think there are a lot of other op uh, opportunities. Uh, I think we need to be aware of quality and prices of the different feeds uh, that are available to us. You know, depending on what your needs, there are different types of feedstuff that will be more beneficial. Uh, the same way that we discussed some of the aspects that affect the uh, starch digestibility in the silage, some of those factors also affect the digestibility in corn grain, for example, right? So if you have to buy corn, grinding corn very fine helps a lot with digestibility. So sometimes you don't have enough in silage, but you can do that to corn grain and make sure you improve that aspect. If there's one golden rule in the realm of corn silage as it relates to feeding dairy cows, what, what is the one golden rule? I think the golden rule I try to uh, tell my students uh, is that all the factors involved in silage production are important. So we cannot relax during that, during that time of the year because this will affect us the entire year, right? So the fact that we do everything right, it doesn't mean that we can abdicate of one of those factors because that may be the factor that will compromise your entire year. So close attention to all, I think, is the key component here. And this is also true for dairy nutrition, right? Uh, we pay very close attention on how we formulate diets, but if we formulate diets very well, and then we don't understand the nutritional management of the dairy, 
nothing matters, right? Because we need to make sure the diet's good, is properly offered, and is consumed. Right, yeah. If they're not eating it, then you've, you've accomplished nothing. Are there any other like major takeaways that you think farmers should know or hear about as it relates to this topic? No, I think those are the major, uh, the major takeaways. The only thing I would like to add is uh, follow UW Extension. There are a lot of good people here that produce a lot of good research. And their job is to make sure they translate that research into practical opportunities for dairy farmers, uh, as well as the allied industry. Uh, actually, this is a, a huge portion of our job, and we do our best to make sure all this information is available to you, uh, not only from uh, the cow side, but also the crop side, soil side, and et cetera. So that's my suggestion. And if people have more questions, how can they get a hold of you, Louise? So uh, the easiest way to contact me is by email. Uh, my email uh, is ferreretto as my last name. I know that this will tricky a lot of people right now at whisk.edu, but you can also find my profile at the Animal and Dairy Science uh, Department website uh, from University of Wisconsin-Madison. So just check our website. Feel free to send me an email. I'll be glad to answer any questions. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing such great insight on forages. And yeah, have a great day. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, and again, if you have anything you need to ask, feel free to contact us. It will be our pleasure to, to continue to discuss silage and dairy nutrition with you. If you are already growing and producing high-quality forages, you are encouraged to submit an entry into the 2021 World Forage Analysis Super Bowl which is set to award $26,000 in cash prizes to our top winners this year. The deadline for corn silage entries, both standard and BMR corn silage, is July 15th, with all other entries due August 26th. Uh, in that second deadline includes categories like baleage, haylage, grass hay, dairy hay, commercial hay, and others. For a full list of categories in the World Forage Analysis Super Bowl, visit worlddairyexpo.com or foragesuperbowl.org. Both of those locations will have contest information as well as entry forms into the 2021 contest. The World Forage Analysis Super Bowl is organized by partners Dairyland Laboratories, Inc., Hay and Forage Grower, U.S. Dairy Forage Research Center, University of Wisconsin, and World Dairy Expo. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 